0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Being Giant Show. I'm one of your hosts, Rochelle Verna, and this is a podcast for academics by academics. This week, I'm talking to Ingrid Izaguirre, who is a second year PhD student at Columbia University. In this episode, we touch upon how her interest in science developed, a little bit about diversity and inclusion in STEM, and some of the things that she's hoping to do going forward. As always, we hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. Ingrid how are you? I'm doing well how are you? I'm doing pretty good uh I know it's been a tense week so thank you so much for you know carving out the time to you know to sit here and like chat with me.
1: Oh no absolutely I think this is probably a big highlight in my week probably the less (laughs) tense moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah no it's just like kind of the strange uh sense of reality where like every day you wake up and it's still the election right?
1: It really feels that way. Uh, it's like a never-ending, worse version of Groundhog Day. I think.
0: <laughs> I think I think you hit it right on the right on the nail there. Uh, but anyways, um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I think you you know you, you you seem to have like a really fascinating background. It seems like you're doing some really cool work. So why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about what you're doing now.
1: Okay, uh, great. Yes, yeah, so I am a second-year PhD student uh, at Columbia University, and I basically study the climate of the past. Uh, and so that's kind of you know with the perspective of understanding and being better at uh, projecting future changes. So um, I'm technically studying you know geochemistry, uh, but I like to specify that because I think you know it's an application to this very specific thing, and I think that's important to get across. Um, So a little bit, you know, a little bit deeper than that. Uh, So we look back into, you know, millions of years ago, my specific project is around 34 million years ago, uh, and we try to understand, um, you know, what's happening with carbon um, over these like kind of bigger changes in Earth's history. So in these big shifts, you know, we want to understand, I specifically want to understand how carbon moves between the deep ocean and the atmosphere, which are you know, major carbon reservoirs and very important to the climate system so so that's that's kind of the short version of it
0: (laughs) okay okay so pretty much studying past climates to gain insight regarding what might happen you know in the future
1: right because our models you know we don't fully have ways to directly measure what could happen based off of the temperature and CO2 changes that we're seeing today. So we have to look back in the past and try to understand uh, the mechanisms that you know are controlling CO2 change or controlling temperature change. And then also understanding the mechanisms that kind of um, control what happens after. So our climate system is super uh, dynamic and interconnected. And so we wanna understand how these different systems um, Kind of interact with each other so that we can use the understanding of these mechanisms and hopefully you know quantify certain things so that we can really be helpful to these modelers who are making these projections for
0: our future climate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now i know you said that you're um, in the second year of your phd is everything that you just mentioned to me is this more or less going to be the bulk of your work as you go throughout
1: I believe so. Yes. So uh, what I've just mentioned this, this little tidbit about um, looking back at this, this event, the Eocene-Oligocene transition uh, 34 million years ago. So this is um, a project that I have just proposed to uh, the National Science Foundation's Graduate Research Fellowship Program. So um, fingers crossed, but I won't hear back until April. But I mean, regardless of the funding situation, that is um, the plan. Yes.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, cool. Well, I'm wishing you the best of luck with that. Thank you. OK, so how would you end up getting you know, interested in climate science?
1: You know, that's so that's such a great question, um, because I was laughing the other night with my partner um, who's taking currently a course in uh, I think it's uh, it's like a, a course on mammals um, and things like that. And every time that he's listening to this, you know, Zoom class, I'm always in the back. Doing something else, but you know, kind of listening to this because growing up I really, really loved animals and the natural environment, but specifically animals. I grew up right outside of the Everglades in Miami. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our community was the last development before just, you know, swaths of wetlands and sawgrass and you know, alligators in the lake outside our house. And, you know, a lot of my childhood was spent either, you know, out there in, in those parks in the Everglades or outside in our yard, you know, watching birds and things like that. And my my parents were also a huge part of that. They really um, I think a lot of our free time was spent outside uh, and together kind of observing things. Um, my dad and my stepmom are actually both scientists uh, in oh, really? like climate and chemistry. Yeah. So that's also a huge, huge portion of it. I was, I was just always surrounded by science, I would say. And I don't know if I would be in science otherwise, because it's not actually I wouldn't say that i'm the most naturally gifted when it comes to science i'm i'm a little bit better at writing and you know um you know maybe (laughs) you know social interaction i've had a lot of people tell me that i should be you know working as a social worker or something like that but i always really had my heart set on science um but as you can imagine you know it can be really tough when it doesn't feel like you're necessarily the most gifted at the thing that you're most interested in
0: i feel that like a thousand percent (laughs) hard because when I uh, when I actually applied for college, I actually applied as a communications major, mm-hmm. but like I was always really interested in science, but I never really gave it a shot. Um, yeah, it's not like I was the most gifted. Um, when I decided, once like I guess like once I started college, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna see how it goes, and I feel like I had to learn how to be good at science. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was oh, starting yes. from like the beginning or something. So I feel mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's really interesting. I think it used to be uh, a much greater and more intimidating barrier than it feels like now, um, because I did have this perspective of academia, which I think you know is fairly common and often perpetuated where you have to be the best of the best to make it. And I mean, it's, it's still intimidating, but I think um, through the different people that I've met and through the different mentors that I've had, I think I realize now that there is a space in science for anyone who wants to be there um, in different degrees, and I think academia supports that in different ways, um, but I think it's kind of made me a little bit more comfortable uh, approaching it from finding where I fit instead of whether or not I fit as a given.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sounds like uh, uh, what Patrick Cho and I, what we were talking about last week um, when, I, when I had him on this show, um, he made... Like, he made this really interesting point to me where he was telling me about his experience at Columbia Mm -hmm. uh, doing his master's. And he was telling me how he, like his, I guess, part of his cohort or like the people, his peers and stuff there, you know, there were these individuals who had these very diverse backgrounds um, in terms of professions and stuff. But yet, you know, they're interested in, you know, climate, climate change, climate policy and stuff. And, you know, they decided to go ahead and do this master's which I guess, you know, kind of allowed, you know, allowed them to go ahead and, I guess, like, like fulfill that, like that desire and stuff. But as, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, there are vehicles for that, there are avenues for that, you didn't necessarily have to start out the gate, you know, saying that, like, hey, I wanted to take part in this, I can, you know, I can, I can find ways to get into it
1: right yeah right i think that's so promising um yeah patrick um i also know patrick through columbia and i mean he's great i miss him so much um (laughs) but i'm glad that he's doing so well at notre dame um yeah i i think it's it's really interesting to think about now because i always took for granted that i just grew up surrounded by science um and i never really you know until more recently um and in college maybe stopped to consider you know what it was like and what many of my friends or people in my cohort kind of, you know, had to go through to fight for their interest in science. Um, I had a friend uh, who's now at UC Davis. Um, Her name is Toni Loroff and she's she's amazing. She just Mm -hmm. started her PhD this year Mm -hmm. uh, and she is from Michigan, but she was always really enamored with the ocean and she was always really interested in, you know, climate and human uh, interactions with coastal systems and things like that. And she, um, she really worked hard to fund herself and to go to UM specifically so she could have this interaction with the ocean and be in a program that served that specifically. Um, yeah. And I just, yeah, it kind of, it kind of took me aback because I, I had to really realize the privilege that I had just being born into a family more or less of scientists in a place where I could, I could just interact with with nature by just going outside like it's not a given um yeah yeah mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs)
0: just
1: just a note um something i think about more i think now Mm -hmm. uh and how that probably shaped a lot of my path um in a way that wasn't you know directly intended by me Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. i i see i totally understand uh well shout out to your friend for uh going to um and doing the whole self-funding thing because that's kind of That's kind of tough. Yeah, it's really tough. (laughs) Um, But so you mentioned that both of your parents um, are are scientists, right? Mm -hmm. So both of them went off and did their PhDs?
1: So actually, um, so my, I should clarify, my dad and my stepmom are scientists. Um, My mom is a teacher and she was also a social worker. Mm, Um, And so my dad and my stepmom, I I believe that they have their masters. I don't think that they did their PhDs, to my knowledge. I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. (laughs) Um, I really hope I'm not. But no, so they, um, so they both did not, uh, they're not from the U.S. initially, but my dad actually came to the U.S., came to the University of Miami to do his master's. Um, and that's how he was also able to stay and continue doing research here at this institution. Mm, okay. Okay.
0: Uh, so if you don't mind me asking, where, where's your family from?
1: That's a great question, um, and I don't mind at all. Uh, so my dad's side of the family is from Mexico um, and Mexico City specifically. Okay. And then um, my mom's side of the family is from here in the US, from Miami, Florida. So um, so yeah, kind of, kind of very different backgrounds. Um, yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's kind of interesting because, um, and I feel like we'll probably get into this, but it's kind of weird. Because although my family and the majority of my family on my dad's side is is from Mexico um, and we did visit there very often, so I do really feel a connection. I don't always feel like I'm, you know, able to represent the Latinx community um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I am very much white passing and I really have been privileged and I don't feel like I have experienced um, the kind of more difficult aspects of being a minority in STEM. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Matter of fact, let's let's go ahead and get into that right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's get into that one. Um, so I know that you are the diversity co-chair mm-hmm. at the observatory where you um, where you're doing your PhD at. So tell me a little bit about how that came about.
1: So um, that started um, probably at the beginning of this academic year when our graduate student. Council was kind of, you know, looking for different people to serve in different positions uh, just because we have different people graduating and rotating in and out of these positions. And so um, I had been kind of interested in my first year um, kind of to attend more of the programs that were going on and being led by students and postdocs surrounding uh, DEI, so diversity, equity. Um, inclusion and justice, um, which is, you know, I'm sure everyone is talking about, uh, especially this year. Um, And so I think because of that, you know, when the time kind of came around, um, I was contacted and informed that, you know, this position was opened. And, you know, like, if I would like to, you know, meet and discuss it. And so, yeah, it wasn't a super um, dramatic or intentional process, per se, but I really, really, appreciated the opportunity and kind of push in that direction because I do want to be more involved in um, promoting, you know, a diverse and equitable, inclusive environment. Um, and I hadn't really taken on this kind of role before. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it, it's very much a start for me. Um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I'm also, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a co-chair, so I'm working alongside another student um, who, you know, is is really great and it has also been involved in putting on other events um and so kind of has you know a more experienced perspective on you know what works and what doesn't work and how to kind of bring the community together um so i'm, I'm really benefiting and i would say learning a lot um, before i'm able to fully contribute to this role the way i, I hope to
0: mm-hmm. uh, would you say that you um i guess your experience in terms of not experiencing um I guess I guess traditional gosh I think I'm butchering that I guess (laughs) not experiencing I guess like adversity the same way that I guess other individuals in the Latinx community um while you have been going through school and stuff is that something that you think helped you seek out an opportunity like that
1: yeah I I do think so um well, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. Okay. I think that because I, I haven't experienced the negative, the more negative effects of you know my family lineage and, and just like every part of myself hasn't been scrutinized the way so many of my peers have, I think mostly hearing from them and seeing other people's experiences um, has just kind of shown me that you know even if it's not affecting me, there's a part that I have to play um, and I think it's kind of just the way I see it is a way of leveraging my privilege. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I yeah, I see. I understand. And shout out to you for, for doing that because oh, that is, it's very important to, you know, to have these conversations, but to also be aware of that, right? Like to be aware of, you know, other people's realities outside of your own, because yeah. it helps you empathize with other people. And like, you know, we had the ability to empathize a little bit more, I feel like we'd get a lot more things done, but that's just my personal opinion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I think empathy is at the heart of it. Um, yeah, I, I also think, you know, like taking on a leadership role is not something that I've done a lot. Um, you know, so I would say this has probably been my first, uh, leadership role other than um, in college, I I was a resident assistant. So I was working with um, freshmen. I was living with them in the dorms um, and I was kind of in charge of, you know, in a way keeping the peace, but also just being a person who was around um, to talk to. And, you know, in the case that there were conflicts to act as a mediator. Um, and I think that from that, I really had to in a way, you know, was forced to grow into um, my own and grow into the comfort of being an advocate and standing up for um, standing up for someone or, you know, and also just listening to different perspectives um, and really trying to find some common ground to bring people together when, you know, stakes are already high and people are already feeling tense and at odds. And I think that that was really something that helped me gain confidence in using my voice to help others and really kind of set me up to be in a position where I could say yes to this opportunity and stretch myself further to learn how to really, um, to be an advocate, I would say.
0: Now, that is pretty interesting. Uh, well, since you haven't necessarily, you know, experienced, um, I guess, the, the, the adversities, you know, that comes with being in the Latinx community, Mm-hmm. and stuff via academia like through your path in academia and stuff um what about being a woman mm-hmm. in academia what has your experience been like
1: yeah that's uh, that's such a good question I feel like sometimes it's it's difficult because I do don't, I mean, like I'm so risk and like conflict averse that mm-hmm. I think there have definitely been times when I just kind of, you know, brush things off. Um, but I also think that, you know, like the reality of it is that I started my, you know, scientific endeavors and experiences in a place where at the end of the day, my parents worked there. Um, and so I was already known and I already was treated with a certain level of respect. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was already included in spaces that I didn't really have to like outright prove myself, Mm, um, in a way that I feel like is very, uh, often a feeling that, you know, we have as just, I think any kind of minority, um, not just as a woman. Um, so I, I, I would say, and I feel like there hasn't been anything that really stands out to me. But I also think that that's just, you know, a further testament to the amount of privilege that I've been afforded um, so far in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, also I think, you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything, you know, super competitive. I think that as I move forward, there's the potential that I will, you know, maybe see things differently and maybe be able to tease out inequity where I just brush it off as, you know, me, you know, not getting an opportunity or not being heard just because I wasn't informed enough or I wasn't smart enough. So I think, I think it's difficult for me to answer that because I think like I haven't totally processed it in some of my experiences in the lens of like, okay, this was because I was a woman. I was mm-hmm. treated a certain way. Um, so I don't have any specific answers, which you know I guess is a, is a good thing, but it also makes me a little bit curious and maybe you need to go back and review some parts mm-hmm. <laughs> of my history.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 really interesting to hear because, you know, d- during the summer um, when, you know, the the world was reacting to the George Floyd murder, mm-hmm. um, I had to take a step back and kind of just, you know, think about, you know, what it means to be a black you know woman in STEM. Mm -hmm. and in academia and stuff and I had to I ended up reflecting on my journey because I had a lot of people reaching out to me you know asking me all these questions like oh my goodness like first of all they were like oh my goodness I'm so sorry I'm sure Mm -hmm. that this is a really hard time for you um you know can you tell me about what your experience you know what your experiences have been Mm -hmm. you know throughout academia by you know being you know black and being a woman and stuff and to be honest with you, I can't really say that I was ever in, in an awkward situation where I felt like I was treated some type of way because of my gender or mm-hmm. because of my race. Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that these situations that, you know, they, they don't occur, but I also think it's very important to acknowledge when they don't because mm-hmm. it, it kind of, you know, it, it tells you whether or not if something is working and something is not working, right? Right. At, right especially at like a, a particular place so like for me I I personally have been fortunate to, to not be a victim of racism or mm-hmm. like you know a victim of uh discrimination due to my due to my gender so if you can't really point out something then that's a good thing
1: yes yeah it's you know it's a good thing um again it just like i think it's also a moment to pause and really reflect on like what levels of privilege have afforded me Mm -hmm. the like the good fortune of not of not experiencing this Mm -hmm. um just because you know i just have heard so many other perspectives and experiences and stories um that really you know make it feel like there are different worlds oh no
0: 100 percent, there are different worlds yeah for sure
1: yes for sure. Um, yeah. So that I mean, that's really what sticks with me anytime this kind of thing is brought up. And to a certain degree, you know, like it is an awkward situation because, you know, I am in some ways, you know, the representative of the Latinx community. You know, like when mm-hmm. you're in different rooms, you're in different circles, you're inhabiting different aspects of your identity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sometimes feels a little bit awkward. Um, yeah, because it doesn't always feel like you know, like I'm the right spokesperson for this. But I, I think, I think if anything. Um, my taking on the role of diversity co-chair is kind of, you know, the point of, you don't have to have experienced this to still try to be part of the effort to make it better for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. okay. No, for sure. For sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I do agree with your point of... It feeling awkward, you know, because when I was getting those questions during the summer, I was like, dang, I don't really know how to answer that question, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. Like, and I'm not saying that, you know, my experience, you know, discredit, discredit other people's experiences, because, you know, it's true that there are these other experiences out there, but I can only, you know, speak from my experience. But at the same time, I am, you know, aware Mm -hmm. that there are these other perspectives and stuff. And if you do see something that is wrong, right. Mm -hmm. then you you need to have the courage to be like okay hey this is wrong
1: Right, right right exactly like the root of it extends beyond our experiences um because I think like even if I'm not able to fully understand and embody the experience that someone else has had um I think just knowing about it you know I think it affects you enough that you can be part of the solution and you should be part of the solution it's almost like knowing is like knowing and then acting like everything's fine because it hasn't happened to you is, is like a form of complicity
0: 100 mm-hmm. percent. with that being said what do you think the current state of diversity in the geosciences is
1: well i think that i think that you know if we didn't know already we've been shown that there is a lot of work to do mm-hmm. um and that it is not the most diverse field, even though there have been efforts uh, to try to remedy that and to make it a more inclusive environment. Um, and I think that right now, you know, in this past year, we've had a lot of momentum, and it seems like there has been you know, a lot of support, um, yeah, a lot of support for efforts in that direction. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope that that continues moving forward. I really, um, I would like to see that happen. I think that, you know, students and postdocs, I feel, have been doing a lot of the work towards this. And I think it's really great that we're starting to see more institutional support, um, like verbalized. I really wanna see that backed up by action is Mm -hmm. kind of my main thought. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, you and I, we both got lucky because our interest in science developed well before we started attending undergrad um but oftentimes like my experience I don't know for you but my experience with interacting with other individuals who are a part of the geosciences is that they didn't know that earth science exists like that it was an (laughs) actual field that they can go and like major in and stuff like that so oftentimes it's really a a discovery major when you're Mm -hmm. you're kind of like weaving your way through undergrad and like you know you're trying to find yourself and then you take a a general ed class and you're like oh my goodness this this stuff is kind of interesting like I want more and then you realize oh shoot there there is you know there is this earth science like department at my school it's very tiny but you know (laughs) it gets the job done so with that being said um like how do you think I guess you know how do you think earth science you know discipline I guess like the field how do you think it could be you know advertised you know to to grade school kids because, you know, everyone's curriculum is not the same. I mean, I went to school in Miami as well, but I never really took a North Science course.
1: Oh, neither did I. <laughs> yeah, so
0: I didn't know it existed.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's actually so funny that you bring that up because, you know, I mentioned all this stuff about my childhood and being surrounded by nature and my parents being scientists and all of that. But I fully intended um, before, I think, my senior year of high school to pursue something more along the lines of like forensic science or mm. you know something kind of not entirely environmental. Um, but I happened to take a course uh, at FIU. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was yeah, it was a general science course about Earth science and different processes uh, on earth. And I was just really taken by it. I thought it was like so cool. And so that entirely changed what I put in my intended majors when I applied for college Mm -hmm. um and so that was like a really fundamental thing so but i do agree that like it's crazy that that was my first class in earth sciences um yeah and i I think you know the so to answer your question more directly um other than that tangent um (laughs) i think that i'm kind of biased in this because like i said my mother is a teacher Mm -hmm. and she teaches at a montessori school so it's very hands-on um and it's it's a little bit less structured in the, you know, academic uh, standardized test kind of perspective that I think we see very often uh, in the nation. And it's more focused on uh, interacting with concepts and understanding concepts through more tangible things that you can connect with, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, touch or sight or smell or taste or all of these things Um, that, you know, children are just inherently Involved with the earth in a very different way mm-hmm. uh, than I think we are as adults. And they're much more willing to get involved and try things um, and manipulate things with their hands. Um, again, I'm biased because I also went to a Montessori school right. um, until high school, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that, you know, if there's a way to integrate the outdoors um, possibly, or just having like more like material science, like earth science experiments um, in class, I think that would make a big difference because I think that really, from what I've seen, you know, like in, in my past schools and like when my mom, you know, did, you know, science club and things like her kids were always really interested in doing, you know, hands-on little projects and you can really convey a lot of important, really interesting, um, earth science processes into really simple experiments that Mm -hmm. are really fun, um, and that kids can do without, you know, anything super expensive or technical like you don't need a microscope you don't need a chemistry set like you just you nuts know, you just need you know a rock or right. just you know different things that that are much more accessible and I think that regardless of the school could be it could be integrated into some sort of learning plan mm-hmm. um and also like with technology I think like we can show students so many different processes that they might not ever get to see like I think like showing little kids like volcanism and showing them you know the volcanism that happens in iceland versus in hawaii and helping them you know get interested in places other than you know just where they are i don't know i think i think there's a lot that can be done um i'm not entirely sure what stands in the way of it to be honest
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i i agree with everything that you just said i think hands-on learning like well earth science in general is definitely something that can be learned very well if you can, you know, if you can see it in action. And that's a really cool thing about earth sciences, right? Because it's all these processes that are all around you. And right. earth science, you know, being in the United States and stuff like that or anywhere in the world for that matter. Um earth science looks very different. Your environment looks very very different, you know, mm-hmm. based off of where you're from, right? Us being from Florida, You know, we get this humid climate, but we also get, you know, hurricanes and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So, you know, there's a little bit of atmospheric science there. Or if you're up in the northeast, you know, it can get humid, but at the same time, you do get blizzards. Sometimes you can get hurricanes. Um, The topography, depending on where you're at, is not necessarily, you know, super flat. And Mm -hmm. then you have (laughs) the the west coast, which is all, you know. Everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's everything, right? You get a little bit of snow. It's like super uh, mountainous Uh, it can be kind of dry at times sometimes it doesn't really rain all too much Mm -hmm. uh, depending on where you're at so I feel like it's it's important to be able to like I don't know communicate these things in a grade school curriculum but then at the same time to to make it more tangible oftentimes people react better to or like can understand things a little bit better if they understand the consequences of things Mm -hmm. so you know like oh okay if you're in a dry environment then you know you need to communicate what the consequences of that is you know or like what are some of the challenges associated with being in that type of environment okay water is hard to get um there ergo you know it might be it might be difficult to i guess meet everyone's water needs at some point in time or Mm -hmm. it might be difficult to grow food and stuff kind of like painting the uh I guess the societal picture to yes. go along with the science is mm-hmm. often, I, I think that's something that I've always or I've come to see as, you know, something that's, I guess, those two, they go together very well. And in my experience, I feel like, I guess, in the earth science and the environmental science disciplines, they've always been viewed as separate when yeah. in fact that it should really be, you know, combined together. Mm-hmm. and if you know if they, if they are then like you know then it won't be this like you know earth science won't be this discovery science right you're like oh that's earth science you know that, that makes yeah sense. everything like, is earth science right yeah, yeah everything is earth science so
1: yeah I think that's the really cool thing about you know earth science is that you can really incorporate it into so many different fields you know like if if for whatever reason we just want to focus on you know math writing, history, earth science has a role to play in all of these things. And just by, you know, kind of framing things in an earth science perspective, you can also make it, you know, more relatable for your students. Mm -hmm. Like if you have, um, and this is always, uh, this would always get me because I, I, I'm not, you know, the most naturally gifted with anything relating to math, but the second you give me, you know, a problem that is math, but it's related to uh i don't know animals or the ocean or something Mm -hmm. it was so much easier for me to understand like what i was trying to do Mm -hmm. and i was much more interested in like solving the problem basically and i think that that's a really important thing because you know like these the things that we're teaching students they're really important you know like these math concepts these you know um you know you know reading all of it's important but i think like I think that we have a lot more wiggle room to incorporate things, um, than, than the structures make it seem like, mm-hmm. um, because at the end of the day, you're still learning the concepts. For sure. Um, but I think if you have more room to work with students and maybe give them something that's more engaging and more interesting and maybe, yeah, I think just relatable, it goes a long way.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that could carry out, you know, like past grade school and then, if people are more aware of the environment, especially, you know, you were mentioning different regions of the U.S. and different environmental, um, and, you know, weather events that they experience, you know, if they had an understanding of the physics, math, uh, societal, historical implications of them, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe they would care more about something like climate change. So I think it's all super interconnected. Um, but I think, I think oftentimes there's such a focus on just nailing down these fundamental Mm -hmm. pieces of information um, that we lose touch with, like, the actual world we're living in.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like it's kind of like being in a bubble in, in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like a knowledge bubble. But I think we need to go back to making our knowledge applicable from day one.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, providing it's like providing context so that way you can hold on to things a little easier.
1: Right. Yeah. So that way it's yeah, it's actually retained. It's not just you take an exam and then, you know, poof, it's gone. It's something you can really carry with you like a tool. hmm. It's how it's like, you know, that's the idea of knowledge, right?
0: Right. For sure. A hundred percent. Now, earlier you were telling me that, you know, you, you are the second year Ph.D. student over yeah. at Columbia University and that you're interested, well, more like your, your work is associated with uh, past climates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Being that you are in your second year, do you have a good sense of the direction that you would like to take your career?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> Something I grapple with all the time. I think <laughs> I grappled with this like even before I started grad school, um, understandably. But yeah, I you know I don't have I don't have a very for sure answer. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that so far I've been on a very clear path and it's been very straightforward. I you know, I went from undergrad to grad school um, and I'm here now and I'm kind of on this, you know, academia track, Mm -hmm. but I'm not entirely sure it's a, you know, for me um, and b, like the best way I could actually be of service. Mm. Um, so aside from like, you know, having academia as an option here or being a professor, which I think, you know, could be really satisfying. Um, I also would love to explore, you know, more in policy or, you know, that's the thing is like when you, when you stray past academia as your career option, it Mm -hmm. feels like you hit a wall almost because there, it feels like there's only a certain selection of job titles, or, you know, directions you could go and they're all kind of much more vague um, than something like academia, which I mean, like, has its own complications, of course. But it's it's like really intimidating. But I think it's something I'd really like to explore um, because when I so I was I was an intern, actually, in the same lab that I now work in as a grad student Mm -hmm. um, when I was an undergrad. And I found it, you know, super interesting and gratifying. And that's obviously why I'm here. But, you know, it, it really made me think about the work I was producing and how it was going to be used. And it made me kind of question, you know, who is my audience and, you know, like how much change is my work, like how much change is it actually causing? Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about the project I'm doing. And I think that it has the potential to be really helpful um, in understanding climate change. But I also would love to be more involved with communities or with um, policymakers because I feel like this portion of myself, which is very interested in communicating with people, is not always super well represented Mm, um, in the academia kind of framework. I think it can be. Um, I just don't know if I would be able to actually like juggle everything and fit that in and feel really fulfilled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm interested in seeing if there's something out there that more directly uh, brings my work into, you know, communities and affecting like shorter timescale change more direct change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so still exploring that i um, not opposed to staying in academia entirely, um, but I, I, I'd like to, you know, spread a little bit past the, you know, so straightforward path I've been on um, and see what else is out there.
0: I see. I see. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, um, you seem like you're interested in, you know, a lot of other little things. Based off of, like, you know, the the program that you're currently in right now, do you think that you'll have the opportunity to maybe dabble in a little bit of policy?
1: That's a good question. I think, you know, I think there's always the possibility for it. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly about personal initiative, um, and that's what makes it so difficult is because I think when you're in grad school, um, you do have a lot on your plate. Uh, and if you want to do other things, you know, like, no, I mean, for the most part, no one's going to stop you. I mean, other than maybe, um, your advisor, but my advisor Mm -hmm. is very supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, the reality is that you're here to complete a certain thing and that is your PhD. Um, and so you have to kind of keep that as the priority, but I think, you know, if you have the time management skills and the energy really, um, then I think it's all possible. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's more about figuring out when and how and where you fit it in. Um, And that's still something that I am really kind of struggling um, to focus energy into structuring that kind of that kind of stepping stone to something that's not directly academia, because I think like so far, like that is what I've been doing.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, No, it's a good point that you mentioned regarding that, like, okay, you know, when you are in a Ph.D. program, I mean, the main objective is, you know, you're here to do this uh, Ph.D., but yes. it's uh, interesting because, like, when you're at a university, I mean, like, a university has fifty thousand things going on, you oh, know. Yeah. Well, more than fifty thousand things. So, I think it's like, you know, it's very difficult to not want to seek, you know, opportunities in these different areas because you know you're at an institution that gives you those, uh, that, that gives you those resources. Um, with that being said, has is this a conversation that you've had with your advisor where like you know, does your advisor know that you're, you know, you're kind of interested in these other little things?
1: Yeah, I think that I think that we've talked about it. I don't think we've talked about it recently. Mm-hmm. I think like when we were kind of getting to know each other and kind of doing the whole um, pre grad school applications process. You know, like I made my intentions known. I think my personal statement um, you know, made it clear what my interests were, uh, in terms of pursuing something maybe more policy related after my graduate degree, um, and things like that. So I don't think it would be a surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't think my advisor is the type of advisor to shut anything down like that. Mm -hmm. Um, she's very supportive and does a lot of outreach and really does want our work to be something that, creates change, even though, you know, our work is highly technical. And a lot of times we're working on very small, you know, kind of like solutions to detailed portions of a process Mm -hmm. that give us these big answers that are very exciting. But many times we're working on a very small scale. Um, But I think she does a really great job of making her work known Mm -hmm. to a broader uh, scientific and, you know, just general audience. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I chose and wanted to be with her. Um, Yeah, so I would say, yeah, I don't think like, we've talked about it recently, yeah, but I don't think it's something that would be an issue. Okay, cool, cool, cool.
0: Well, it seems like, you know, you're in the right kind of environment to go ahead and to explore like all of these different thoughts that you're having as you are going through your your graduate school journey. So is it in an like, do you think overall that it's a healthy environment? Like being at Columbia, it's healthy, like you feel okay, like to make these decisions, you don't feel super pressured or anything to that effect?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think that's a question that like should be asked constantly you Mm -hmm. know because things change as you move forward in your phd i'm still really early in mine you know relatively Mm -hmm. um but i definitely feel that and i feel that it's been a healthy environment for me Mm -hmm. um you know with an asterisk of i have a lot of privilege um given my position um but i think you know it wasn't always like that i think that columbia and lamont specifically Um, There's been a lot of hard work put into making our community a more welcoming and healthy place. And I think that that's like an ongoing um, intention and effort. So, yeah, I feel I feel really great being here. I think a lot of that also comes from having been here the summer before and having had the chance to find a little bit of community and not just being thrown into an institution Mm -hmm. that, you know, Is known to be intense. Like it is a very impressive place. Like I'm surrounded by people who are doing the most amazing things, and it's very easy to feel, you know, imposter syndrome. But I think, you know, having found a bit of community early on has made, you know, the biggest difference. Um, So yeah, I I would say so far it's a really great fit. Um, And I think, you know, for anyone who is applying to grad school, I think making sure that you that the institution and the advisor is a fit for you is so crucial. I know that in other episodes of the podcast you you guys have touched on this before and mm-hmm. I just I can't agree enough.
0: Right. No, 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 for sure. It's like you you really do have to put in you know the time to one you, you got to you know you got to get a good sense of like, you know, what the environment is going to be like. Obviously, you know, establishing you know, finding that advisor who is going to be like, you know, your person who's going to be able Mm -hmm. to support you in ways that you, you know, you think you'll need to be supported. That is, that's, that's very important. But at the same time, also, is like, you know, you got to look at that institution as well, because, Mm -hmm. you know, certain institutions are known for, you know, certain things. And Mm -hmm. I've had, like, I've met people who told me stuff like, oh, I've transferred out of this institution because... there was you know there was a certain amount of pressure that was just associated with being there that they couldn't handle and they just went to another institution so this one it's important to get the uh the advisor component right but it's also important to to get like the institution and the overall environment uh component right as well well at the end of the day i mean like it sounds like you're you're having fun you're doing what (laughs) you know, you wanted to do so far. It seems like you're following your passion and it's taking you places. So, yeah. What do you think you're still having? Are you having fun? Are you, are you good?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I am having fun. I think, you know, being in a pandemic, um, because I do, I should say this before, because I do a lot of lab work, um, being in a pandemic has made it more difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know I do miss being in the lab and I have gotten the opportunity thankfully to go back and you know process some samples so I'm I'm still making headway it's just you know a different feel I think it's just difficult for everyone right now Mm -hmm. but I think otherwise um yeah I feel I feel happy here I feel happy with the people that I get to be involved with I I'm happy with the professors i get to learn from i'm happy with the group i get to you know talk to in my my weekly lab meeting it's it's definitely very supportive i think when i was thinking about grad school it seemed so daunting mm-hmm. um and i i wish i could you know go back and kind of feed myself this image of of how i feel about it now um and i but i really do think that that has so much to do with community um and like you said institution i mean i'm not a person who can handle intense pressure super well um i really need support and i think that just like knowing yourself and being honest about what you need and being disciplined with finding that for yourself Mm -hmm. i think is crucial yeah i think that's that's a huge thing that has like added to my well-being here and my enjoyment of this program Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. well that's really good to hear um it's been really awesome getting to get to know your background and hearing about some of the things that you're doing uh right now and even hearing about you know some of the things that you're thinking about exploring in the future Um, my hope for you is that you continue you know to to be having fun um as you mentioned being in this pandemic um it has made things difficult i feel like you know if you could you know if 2020 had a slogan which I'm sure it has, you know, there can be many uh, things that could be used as a slogan for 2020, but I definitely do feel like, you know, it being difficult um, is something, you know, that you could throw on a shirt for 2020. Yeah. Uh but you know, it seems like you're hanging in there and I'm really happy to hear that.
1: Thank you. Well, I I've, I've been really happy to chat with you and I'm I'm really honored to be on your podcast.
0: Yeah, no no problem. Hopefully uh, you know, we can have you back on at a at a later point that's it for us this week we hope that you guys enjoyed the episode please be sure to follow us on our social media pages for any of our upcoming updates until next time